Thank you, worship team. Thank you to all who serve. So I'm uh, just going to jump right in this morning. <clears throat> I actually want to begin with a, a very specific prayer. Uh, if you're joining us for the sermon series, The Deep Work of the Holy Spirit, we've been at it for four weeks, so we are halfway through. And if you could put up that second slide, just give you a little Greek this morning, parakletos. This is what Jesus uses when he refers to the Holy Spirit, that he will send the helper, the comforter, advocate, all those different words apply. And what that means is one who is called to one side to provide aid, one who comes alongside to give aid. And so we've been talking about that for the past four weeks. Um, and if you haven't had a chance to catch up on the sermons, you can go online. Now I do know when I last checked, I did not see Dr. Edwards' sermon from last week up, so I'm assuming media team will put it up shortly. Um, but if you were here or you watched online, you might remember Dr. Edwards talking about how the uh, creation groans, right? So there's this reality we know that things are not as they should be. Uh, because of the fall, we deal with not only sin, but we deal with all kinds of brokenness and trials and tribulations. And creation groans, we groan, but he also mentioned that the Holy Spirit groans with us. And when we are incapable of praying, we don't know what to say, the Spirit makes intercession for us. So the Spirit comes alongside to give aid. And I wanna pause right now to pray for such aid. Uh, some of you may not know this gentleman, his name is Julio Isasa, one of our brothers, he and his wife Katie, they are missionaries that our church supports. They are uh, in Colombia, and just recently uh, he lost his brother, his older brother, uh, due to a terrible chemical accident, uh, and his brother is no longer with us. And so I just want to pause to pray for him this morning as we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Comforter who comes alongside. Let's pray for Julio and his family today. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we are reminded every day the brokenness that we live in, that we experience, the brokenness of our world, to the breakdown of our bodies, and all the things that come up that we didn't plan for. So Lord, we specifically name and pray for Julio and the Asasa family that is grieving right now at this loss that was unexpected. We pray, Lord God, that you, Holy Spirit, would comfort and provide aid. Lord, strengthen their faith in this moment when they don't know what to pray, when they're not sure even how they feel. Holy Spirit, you are the one who prays on their behalf. So I ask, Lord, for your comfort in the midst of this loss, this severe tragedy, that you will be their guide. And, and this morning, Lord, I also pray for others who might be in a similar situation, Lord, where there's grieving, there's loss, there's brokenness. Holy Spirit, remind us that you are the one who's come alongside to give aid. Be our strength this morning, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. 
So as we continue, I do want to begin today with just a few questions for you to marinate on. First question, what are you giving yourself to? What are you giving yourself to? Now, this encompasses every aspect of our being. You know, it, it encompasses our thoughts. It encompasses our will. It encompasses our emotions, our bodies, and so on. Just simply think about that. What are you giving yourself to? Second question, what or who governs your life decisions? What or who governs your life decisions? decisions. Last question, this might sound a little weird, but what software are you operating on? What software are you operating on? As I think about my own career, uh, my trade, I am a web developer, web designer, web developer, and I've been doing that for over 15 years. And one thing that I'm concerned about, especially as we talk about coding, and those of you who are in the realm of tech, you understand what I'm talking about, which is why I threw in that software piece. It was for you. I'm thinking of you. Um, but as a coder, I'm thinking about two main things, input and output. I put in a certain code information and I'm expecting a certain result. And so when I look at the outcome of my code and I don't quite see what I was expecting, I then have to go and check the source code. And it means one of two things. Either there's an error in the syntax, which means you have to close certain statements properly, or I'm missing something. So, Two things, I could either, either have something in the wrong way, incorrectly, or I'm missing something. And that impacts the output. How is that related? Well, I wanna talk about what we're running on as we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to turn to Romans chapter eight. This is a longer passage, so I'm gonna read verses one through 17. Romans chapter eight, verses one through 17, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, 
then even though your body is subject to death because of sin or is dead because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Input, output. What software are you operating on? I think this is important because as we look at scripture, scripture doesn't just deal with what we're thinking or what we're doing, but it speaks more to how we're thinking. Meaning, not just what are your thoughts, but what's the foundation of your thinking? What's the root under that? You know, we just came from rooted and grounded. What is the root that you're operating from? Not just the what, but just, but the how. And I wanna talk about this today uh, but I want to do a little, a little side piece because it's actually relevant because uh, leading up to this, Paul is having a huge discussion regarding the law versus grace. The law versus grace. Now we want to make sure we have the proper understanding of this because sometimes law is interpreted simply as it's just all about sin and then grace doesn't care about sin. Well, that's a misunderstanding, and so let me unpack this. So Paul is writing, obviously, to Jews and Gentiles, uh, but primarily speaking to Jewish believers who, obviously, they came up under the law of Moses. That's what they understood. But now grace has come, and life is in Christ. But what was happening, and you can actually see a huge argument ensue in Acts chapter 15 um, between these Jewish believers who were saying that in order for Gentiles to be saved, they have to be circumcised and they have to keep the law of Moses, right? So they have to go back to this tradition. In a sense, they have to become Jews. And so in a lot of Paul's letters, he's dealing with this in light of the gospel. So he talks about the law. This begins in Romans chapter two. He begins talking about circumcision. And what he's concerned about is people who are seeking to live under the law. So now, what does that mean living under the law? One second, I wanna to jump too far ahead. Yeah, so what does it mean living under the law? Well, it's not saying that what the law was dealing with was bad. Just look at the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, right? We're, we're very familiar with that. But what did living under the law do? What were people seeking to do? They were seeking to justify themselves or be justified by keeping the law. 
So this is the argument, this is the discussion, to be justified by keeping the works of the law. So how, how would I know that I'm righteous in the eyes of God? Well, I keep the Ten Commandments, and that's how I know I'm righteous. And so people kept going back to that mentality, as long as I do the right things, I'm good with God. But this is where grace comes in and blows that apart, uh, because what the Jews were doing, they were, they were taking pride in their connection to uh, Abraham, so their ethnic traditions and heritage. And Paul is saying to them, listen, your ethnic heritage doesn't save you. They were taking pride in having the law of Moses. And he's saying, listen, having the law of Moses isn't what saves you now that Christ has come. So what does the law do? Because Paul makes this argument where he talks about the weakness of the law. Because in other places he talks about how the law was good in that it was a tutor, but it wasn't the full picture. See what the law did, the law just showed us how sinful we were. That's what the law did. All the thou shalt nots, those are key things. And yeah, they're bad things. You shouldn't be taking God's name in vain or blaspheming the name of the Lord or murdering and all of those things. But what the law did, the law put the line, all right, so I'll use this line. The law put the line and simply said, don't cross it, right? So that's the law. Don't cross this line. It just shows you, just shows us how sinful we were. Now, I love this example. I can't remember if I've given it before, but I'll, if I have, I'll, I'll do it again. Um, my dad used to come up with this analogy, a metaphor for my brothers and I. So I have two brothers. I'm in the middle, so I'm well balanced. Amen. And, and, and he, my dad came up with this analogy for our, our personality types. So John, the oldest, he was the kid who would get as close to the line as possible without crossing it. Maybe just bend the line a little bit. That was John. Me, I was the kid that stayed as far away from the line as possible. I didn't want to go near it because I didn't like getting in trouble. That was me. My brother Michael, he's like, what line? I don't see a line. You see a line? And it's funny, but this is kind of what the law does, right? And, and, and when we're seeking to be justified by the law, as Paul is dealing with here, it's saying it, it's, it's all based on me now, right? It's based upon my ability to keep it. And here's what Paul says to them. Listen, if you seek to be justified by the law, guess what? You have to keep it perfectly. And if you fail in any point, you've broken all of it. It's over. You're done. So this is what the Jews were doing. Now that's law. But then he pits that against grace. And as I mentioned before, sometimes we, we tend to think, and I think it's a misunderstanding, that grace doesn't care about sin at all. It just doesn't matter anymore. That's not true. On the contrary, grace cares about sin very much. But here's what grace does. See, the law just showed us where the line was. But the law couldn't deal with the corruption of our hearts. It couldn't deal with the will to sin, the sinful thoughts. The law couldn't cleanse us from a guilt-ridden, sin-ridden conscience. 
So that's where he means the law was weak. So now what does grace do? Where Jesus comes and he takes our sin upon himself. He takes our guilt. He suffers and dies and rises again. And grace says that now when we trust in Christ and his finished work, not only are we forgiven, but grace does something else more powerful. Law shows you how sinful you were, but grace breaks the power of sin over us. That's the difference between law and grace. Grace is now when Christ comes, he obeys God's law perfectly, dies, rises again, and now his righteousness is credited to our account, and his spirit that lives in us now breaks the power of sin. Do you see the difference between law and grace? Grace cares a lot about sin, but it breaks sin's power over us, so we no longer have to obey it. Okay, I don't want to skip ahead. So how is the Spirit at work in this? Well, for one, we see the Spirit at work in justification, if, you, if you've heard that, where the Spirit is the one drawing us to Christ, drawing us to salvation. So we see the Spirit at work in justification, but the Spirit also works by indwelling us in sanctification. If you've heard that, what is sanctification? Justification is that through faith in Christ, we are declared righteous before a holy God simply because of the work he did. Meaning, it's not, I've got to do some good stuff like the law said in order to be approved. By trusting in Christ's work, God declares me righteous. But that's not the end. There's forgiveness of sins, but that's not the end of the Christian life. I will offer to you, that's just the beginning. Now there's the process of sanctification where the Holy Spirit comes and infills us. And what is the Spirit at work in us, what's the Spirit doing in us? Conforming us, our words, our thoughts, our actions to look like Jesus. The Spirit is actually confirming in us the new reality. And as I go back up to the text, as Paul talks here, Where he says in verse 3, he said, with the law was powerless, that it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son in likeness of sinful flesh to be sin, a sin offering. Get this, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Get this, now who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And this is where I bring this back to what software are you operating on? What input? and output. And so Paul has this conversation about leaning or giving into the flesh. You've heard me talk about this before, leaning into the flesh that's just being governed by my own desires, my own will, that's driven by a sin nature, and being led by the Spirit, which is the new reality in Christ. And so he talks about those who live according, this is verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set 
on what the Spirit desires. Going back to the first question about what are you giving yourself to? Your will, your emotions, your thoughts. Now, I'm not talking about the passing, fleeting thoughts that we get living in this world and we're bombarded. I'm not talking about the thoughts that you might have every now and then of, of wanting to slap your coworkers, okay? You might have that. Now, if that's, a if that's a recurring thought, night and day, then we need to pray. We really need to pray for you. But, but I'm, I'm more, it's what are you operating on? In other words, where are your thoughts always going? What's your will always going to? What are your emotions always leaning on, right? If I were to ask you, we were to put, a, you know, put an input into your brain output to see what's on the screen and your thinking, like I said, not the weird, crazy thoughts that happen. They, they come all the time. We cast those thoughts down. But what is the daily program that keeps coming back up for you? Is it driven by the flesh nature that does what it wants or is it driven by the spirit? What software? Are you operating on? So, as I mentioned, the Spirit enables our sanctification. The Spirit comes and empowers us. We talked about the Spirit comes alongside to give aid so that you know we don't just have forgiveness in Christ. The Spirit empowers us to live a new life. And so that's what we're given. And so now we, we need to take time to see what this new world or this new creation looks like. Because we know the flesh and sin, we know that's where we've been. That's all too familiar. But now the crisis come, there's a new reality now. And in the kingdom, there's a whole new world. There's a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of living. There's a whole new way of operating that we are called to move toward, invest in, that these things will permeate our being. I'll talk a little bit more about that. Next passage, Romans 6, verses 15 through 18. What then? Shall we sin? because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves of sin, slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart. The pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now granted, Paul is using strong language as he's dealing with slavery of being bound to something, but that is essentially the reality. Being in sin or being a sinner, we are bound to sin. As I mentioned before, Christ comes to break the power of sin, not just forgive sinners, but break the power of sin. That says we were slaves to it. So you'll see Paul continually using this language. You've been set free. You're no longer bound to it, but now you're bound to use this language. You're bound to a new master. 
That's righteousness. Peace, joy, and the Holy Ghost. So talk about that. But get this, because this is important. Whatever we give ourselves to, as he mentioned, whether to sin or, or to righteousness, you become a slave to it. It begins to own you. And this involves our minds, will, emotions, energy, time, and so on. So think about this. When we talk about sin, whatever sin, it doesn't really matter the sin, but remember it's how we're thinking. It encompasses every aspect of our being. Even if there's something you haven't done, there could be something up here in your will, your emotions, your mind that you've agreed to. See, I want you to know Scripture deals with that, deals with that too. It's not just the act that we take. It's the heart behind it. It's the motives. It's the thoughts that we give ourselves to it. So just for the sake of example, someone who's a thief, that's just what, that's what they do. Well, it's not just their actions. It, it encompasses his thought patterns. He's thinking about it all the time. When he walks into a room, a thief is thinking about where he can get the next score. It, it, it's, it's capturing his emotions too, because there's, a, there's kind of a high I get from stealing and getting away with it. So, so it becomes this vicious cycle where to give in to the desire then feeds the desire, and it just keeps growing. That's what Paul means by being a slave. You feed the desire, you're just going to want more of it. And you all know what I'm talking about. We do this with so many different things, but you feed it, 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 it keeps cycling over and over again. But here's the beauty of this. Righteousness is the same way. Righteousness is the same way. This is why I don't want to stopping it just in Christ, I'm forgiven. The Spirit brings so much more than that. You are empowered to become something new. So the same way that in sin I give my will and my body and my mind and my energy to it, he's saying, let's translate that to righteousness, where now righteousness permeates my mind, my will, my emotions, my thoughts, my plans, my energy. That's what I'm seeking to do. So essentially, here's what grace does when you talk about the law as it relates to sin. Remember, we go back to that line. The law says, don't cross it. Grace says, there's a whole different reality over here. Do you see what's happening when I live according to grace? I'm not as concerned about the line anymore because the power of sin is broken. I'm called to a new reality. This is where God wants me to go. This is what I'm investing my time, my efforts, my thoughts in. And you see, some of us, we might be struggling with some sin and you're like, it seems like I can't get free. And I want to ask you, have you checked your input lately? I need to ask you this morning, what software are you operating on? Meaning, are you in here, you're you're naming Jesus, but really you're operating on your flesh. Is that really what you're giving life to every day? Because what you feed, that's what's going to come out. 
You plant an apple, you plant apple seeds, what are you going to get? You're going to get an apple tree. At least you better, because that's, that's my understanding. So. <laughs> what, what you're sowing, and Paul talks about this too, when you're sowing to the flesh, that's what you're going to get. It's going to keep coming back up. If, if my attitude and how I see things, that's what I'm operating on every day, it doesn't matter if I'm coming in here or singing songs. It doesn't matter. My operating software is, it's about my way, what I want to do. Guess what's going to come out of you? It's going to come out of your mouth. It's going to come out of your actions. It's going to permeate your thoughts. And some of us might be there and you're wondering, why do it seem like I keep going back to this? Check your software. Am I actually leaning on the Spirit? This is the work of the Spirit in us. You are made new. Uh, so I said that. Whatever we give ourselves, we become slaves to. Our mind, our wills, emotions, and so on. I'm telling you, this is one of my pet peeves in Christian circles. And I know what people mean, but let me unpack this. You know, I don't know how many times I've, I've sat in a group and we're talking and the whole conversation is, I'm just so sinful. Yeah. And then we start boasting about it. I'm just prideful. I'm a mess. Now, I understand what people are saying. We need to be real about the struggles. Okay, I get it. But what isn't spoken in those settings is that we have new software. The Spirit brought some new software that says, okay, I deal with pride, that's real. But God has an answer for my pride. It might be lust, I struggle, but God has an answer for lust. What does the Spirit say about that? Check that. What does that software say? What, what is that pad, that software patch? How does that address that? But all day, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. I'm just, we're just, we're messy, but God loves us. I just want you to know, yes, He loves us, but He did way more than that. Here's how you need to understand His love. Love provides for. I love my children, so I provide for them. I give them what they need. That's what the Spirit of God does. I love you. Let me give you the tools you need. You're going to need this to live for me. You're going to need this to proclaim my truth. Here's the Spirit to empower you. And the Spirit reminds us, as Paul says in this, that he bears witness with our spirit. There's a new reality. You belong to God now. This is why I know I'm going to make some people mad. You can debate me, that's fine, that's okay. I don't identify myself as a sinner. Now much has been written about this throughout church history, I'm not going to solve all of this. I get what people are saying, right? We never get to a place where we have arrived. I no longer need God, I'm good on my own. Um, we never get to a place where we can't be honest about struggles and that we deal with sin. And there are times we need to repent. But the reason I say that, that's no longer my identity. That's no longer how God sees me. I'm a new creation. There's a new reality. Do I struggle with pride? Yeah, I have flare-ups. That's what I like to call them, right? I have flare-ups. They're like moments, mo a moment like, you know, talking with my wife, oh man, pride just flared up there. 
Selfishness flares up. I have moments like that, of course. So we know we're not perfect. We get that. We don't have to keep talking about that all the time. We're not perfect, and we know that. But there's a new reality that the Spirit brings. So that's why I say that's not, that's not my identity, because when you understand what a sinner is, a sinner is an enemy of God. A sinner is hostile to God. A sinner doesn't know God and doesn't want to know God. That's the mentality of a sinner. That's what I'm getting at. Someone who is a sinner, like, I don't want to know God. When you are a saint, you've been made alive to God. There's a new reality. It doesn't mean we don't sin. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle. But there's new software here that says, I can't stay here anymore. That's why the Holy Spirit brings conviction. The Holy Spirit doesn't bring condemnation. He brings conviction. It sounds like that doesn't, that doesn't represent me. You're a child of the king. That doesn't represent the king. That's not how I made you. That's not how I designed you. That's not my best for you. I made you more than that. Do you understand the difference? The focus is different. So then I'm not spending my time, as I told you before, I'm not spending all of my effort on, I'm just, I'm, I'm working hard not to sin. Like that's the goal of the Christian life. Don't sin. Just we should be sinning less. I heard somebody say that. I'm telling you, that's not true. That's not the goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is righteousness. Because see, if the goal is sinning less, sin remains my focus. But when the goal is righteousness, you know I got to pivot. The goal of righteousness is a complete turn from sin and pursuing a completely new reality. And so I hope that you get this this morning, that the Spirit burns this in you. And actually, when you think about this, one, my dad would always talk about, well, my brothers and I, he would always talk about character, how character is so, is so important, who you are when nobody's looking, that, you, that we should be integrated as a person, meaning we're consistent. No matter what environment I, I'm in, I'm consistent. In other words, the way you see me here, you see me outside of here, and when you see Tim White in the street, you're not questioning, who in the world is that? There's consistency in the way that I live. That comes back to identity. That's what the work of the Spirit does. The character of Christ, that, even that word character, when you even look at the root of the word, it actually means to engrave something. What's engraved in you? What software are you operating on? What, what is your mode of operation every single day? So that's what the Spirit is burning in us. Every day, you belong to Christ. We start there. Does that permeate your thoughts every day? Begin your day just with that. Don't start with all the things you don't want to do anymore. Maybe begin your day, yeah, I know I struggle with my anger, but Jesus has made me righteous. The Spirit is here who's called me to a, way, a brand new way of living. Let that permeate your thoughts when you're at work. I know my temper, but you know what? Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. I'm not controlled by my temper. I'm controlled by righteousness. Lord, I'm going to walk in righteousness today. Lord, I want to care for people the way you do. I want to see people the way you do. You see the difference? There's a forward motion of living. That's what Paul means, living in the Spirit. 
or walking in the spirit. It's a progression, continual. And if you ask me to walk anywhere, I can only walk in one direction. That's why Paul says, listen, you can't pursue the flesh and pursue the spirit. You can't do both. You got to pick. If you tell me to walk somewhere, okay, which way do you want me to go? I can only progress in one direction. Right? Walking in the spirit. Who you yield yourselves to, who you give yourselves to. And sometimes it will be a fight, especially if you are so accustomed to living according to the flesh. The fight's going to be harder because now when you want to try to uh, pursue righteousness, that habit is ingrained in you and it's going to take more work to get free from that. I mean, people who know that, who deal with addictions, they know that all too well. It takes, it, it takes much more work. But like I said, it's a vicious cycle. Righteousness, sin. The same way sin will continue to increase, righteousness increases. It's kind of like somebody who has never worked out a day in their life, but all of a sudden they get some courage and they start working out. They start seeing results. I'm getting healthier. My blood work is great. I have more energy. Like we sang in the song, like, you've rescued my life and I'm never going back. Like, for people who have done that, made that change, it's like, I can't go back. You see the benefits of, I see the benefits of what I'm doing now. I can't go back to how I used to be. There's a new reality. It's the same in righteousness. And for some of you and some things, it might be baby steps. It might be hard, but you, need, you just need to take one step at a time. Lord, here's what you're calling to be. This is hard because my flesh is strong. I'm used to giving it what it wants. Spirit calls me to forgive. Okay. All right. In that moment, that's where you recognize it's not my strength, it's yours. That's life in the spirit. You keep looking at yourself, look, I can't do it myself. You're right. Spirit, Lord, you are Lord. I obey you. Here's what you called me to do. I don't want to forgive people. Here's what you called me to do. I need your strength today. Some of you might be there. There's some people you need to forgive. And the Spirit comes along because the Spirit convicts, the Spirit starts nudging on you. I don't know if you ever had that happen, but when the Spirit starts talking, I've had that sometimes when the Spirit convicts me and just rips me up. And it's like I'm, I get restless. It's like until I respond to this, I can't rest. And now I need to go talk to somebody. Even, in a, if, even if I don't want to, the Spirit is just, no, you got to go. I don't want to, God, yet you got to go. And it's in acting on that, the Spirit's like, okay, let me give you more grace. You did it once before, you can do it again. I'm empowering you to do it. And as you do it more and more, and that becomes your habit, it's your go-to. It's your go-to. It doesn't mean the flesh doesn't try to rise up, but your spirit is stronger. So it's just easier to rely on the spirit because you've been, you've been flexing that muscle. That's my go-to. So even when trials of life come and grief come, yes, it's hard, you experience it, but you automatically go to, I know who holds the future. I know who I trust in. Yeah, I'm hurting right now, but I know who's got me. So while I'm crying, I'm pursuing them. 
it gets easier and easier and easier. That's what the Lord wants for us this morning. And that's how we grow. This is sanctification. This is discipleship. You're in a new reality, church. The last passage I'll bring up, Galatians 5, verses 22 to 25. Now, just prior to this, Paul is listing all the works of the flesh, right? He's listing all the different sins, idolatry and fornication, adultery and murder, and he's listing all these things. These are the works of the flesh, and that's not to suggest that living in the flesh means you're going to do all of those things. Remember, it's more about how you're thinking. This is the result of living in the flesh. You know, living in the flesh for you might just be selfishness. That's bad enough. You know, it doesn't always have to progress to something like murder. We sometimes think like that. Well, I'm not doing some crazy wicked sin, so I'm okay. No, selfishness is pretty bad, okay? But then he says this, living in the spirit, right? But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. In other words, when you're living in the spirit, there's no limit to the love you can have, how much long-suffering you can have. There's no limit to the amount of self-control you can have, the peace you can have, the patience, the kindness, the goodness. There's no limit because God is eternal. So God is always wanting us to grow. There's no, there's no stopping. Even I'm good at self-control, but I can always grow. I can always grow in love. And this is what walking in the Spirit does. The Spirit just gives more of it. He gives more, and you want more of it. It tastes good, and I want more, and I want to do it more. And then that just feeds the hunger for righteousness even more. And I keep doing it, and I keep doing it nonstop. And when you see that when righteousness is my pursuit, you're going to look back and see, look at all the junk, the filth, that God has given me the grace to leave behind. See how it's different from the law? Because those things are no longer my focus. There's a new path. And when you start pursuing this, you're going to see that, wow. And others might identify, man, I remember that thing used to tick you off so much. Now it doesn't even phase you why you've been walking in the spirit. You've been driven by what the spirit says, the spirit's agenda. Here's what I called you to. You've been flexing that muscle day in and day out, and you're leaving the flesh. See, this is why Jesus said that to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself is the fulfillment of the law. He says all of the law hangs on these two things. Why does he say that? Let's just look at the Ten Commandments briefly. If my heart is to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, God is the software I'm operating on. I'm pursuing God's will, God's truth. Just a question for you. How can I take his name in vain when I love him? How can I blaspheme God's holy name? and treat his name as common and doesn't really matter when I've been pursuing him and loving him. 
if loving my neighbor is the focus and that's my pursuit, how can I murder somebody? How can I lie? How can I covet? How can I cheat them? How can I do these evil things when love has been my pursuit? That's why Jesus said that. Love is the pursuit. Righteousness is the pursuit. And you'll see God give grace and grace to leave this behind. Walking in the spirit. So I'll come back to that question about what software are you operating on? What permeates your thoughts, your thinking? Whatever is fighting you, whatever sin, whatever temptation, the Spirit gives power to overcome. Remember, grace breaks the power of sin. I no longer need to obey it. There's a new reality. Whereas in sin, that's just what I do. That's just how I that's just how it is. So for those of you, you're here, you're fighting something, what is righteousness calling you to? So then that sin is no longer your focus. It's there. It's challenging you, but you got something better to fight with. What is righteousness calling you to? That's walking in the spirit, people. Pull that up this morning. Pull that up tomorrow. Pray that this week. Let the truth of what Christ has done permeate your heart and your mind, beginning with, I'm a new creation. I'm a child of God. That means the old is past, the new has come. There's a new reality. Remember, you've been set free from sin and freed to righteousness. And so this is where Paul is talking about liberty that we have in Christ. It's not liberty to do what we want. It's not liberty to give into our flesh. It's the liberty knowing that I no longer have to work to keep the law perfectly in order to be justified before a holy God. I can now rest in the fact that Christ has done the work and because of his grace, I'm brought into a new way of living, a new way of thinking. And the, now the spirit comes and says, walk a new way. And I empower you to do it. Let's pray, church. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and we, your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you completely fulfilled the law. You freed us from the bondage of sin and your shed blood and your resurrection. And I thank you, Lord, that you've given your Holy Spirit who calls us to a new way of living. Lord, you've given us some new input, some new information. You've given us new software to operate on to govern our will, our thoughts, our emotions, our behavior. So Lord, I pray for your people this morning that you strengthen us to live that out, that strengthen us, Lord, to live out the victory that you have purchased for us. It's done and you're calling us to live it out. So thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, the paraclete who comes alongside to provide aid, that we are not alone but who gives us power to overcome. 
because you've overcome sin to create a new humanity, a new people who are marked by love and joy and peace and kindness and patience and self-control and goodness. So that your name would be made great in the earth. And that people will see that you are the God who saves, but not only saves, you completely transform so that we are no longer the same. Thank you, Lord, for your word to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.